Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In our last episode, we talked with Shonda Smith-Baker about her experiences leading the Black Collective Foundation Minnesota. Let's get back to our discussion. Well, it's been three years, as you mentioned, since Black Collective Foundation Minnesota was formed. What are some of those successes, those accomplishments that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, we've put out, you know, a million plus dollars into the ecosystem, investing in um, Black founders and, and leaders. Um, certainly that was significant. We're raising dollars towards our, our goal of sustaining this organization. The fundraising has been a little bit slower than what we wanted uh, to be when we set out, but we understand why that was. And, and part of it was that we were all working in three different organizations. And so now we have some real deliberate action on how to ramp that up. And we're excited about that. But even though it was slow, we are thankful and grateful for the folks that have invested in the vision. So that is certainly success. Um, we have had uh, rooting events. We have brought Black folks in uh, philanthropy together to reduce isolation, to make sure that we are creating a strong pipeline of leaders, that we are sustaining people in the field, that we are creating a community that says, I see you, we support you um, to enhance that work across uh, our state. We have threading events. We put out the research report that you uh, alluded to at the beginning of this conversation. And so, um, and certainly the name, the Black Collective Foundation is now known, right? That we've amplified the brand that we are seeing um, as a community foundation here in the state of Minnesota, one of few that has existed in the country, the first in the state, to be the first of anything is significant, mm-hmm. and we are happy to have broken through that threshold to be significant, not just now, but what we hope to be for generations. To do something that extends beyond your lifetime. absolutely love that. Yeah, there is nothing I can think of that, that makes me more excited than to seed this. And I often use the example of the Women's Foundation that started as a fund that was focused on gender equality and focused on women and girls that then moved into its own foundation. And now it's celebrating its 40th year for us to be able to sort of motto after that, to to be able to do that into generations where the focus will be now and forevermore investing in the genius of black led change just makes my heart happy. I'm already jumping for joy inside (laughs) (laughs) and thinking about my my son who's two and a half years old and how he'll be a beneficiary of that and then his children if he so chooses to have children the multi-generational impact that this is going to have it's it's just it's thrilling it's exciting I love it well you talked a little bit about fundraising and I want to dive into that a little bit more There was a great article on July 20th, Stanford Social Innovation Review. The author, Armando Zumaya, talks about re-embracing and reinvigorating the vital work of fundraising. 
And when we think about fundraising, we generally think about the traditional fundraising methods, which are major giving with huge donors, direct marketing, prospecting, planned giving, giving circles, expanding the potential donor pool beyond the typical straight old white men that we tend to see and see more of us, um, in this case, more Black people as agents of their own change, not as victims. How is the Black Collective Foundation Minnesota changing the paradigm of fundraising? First, we are givers, and we have been givers forever, since the beginning yeah. of time. <laughs> and I think that, you know, the challenge is is to understand that our giving is philanthropic. It is just languaging what we have done since we have been in existence. And that's the first thing, is that the way that we see philanthropy in a formal way has been sort of relegated to wealth and, and privilege in a certain way in whiteness. And what we've done is excluded ourselves from what it looks like because the dollar amounts may look different or the power equation might look different. And so what we need to do is own what our contributions have been and own mm-hmm. it with authority, power, and purpose um, that we we should and that we're entitled to because we have given much to this country, mm-hmm. um, much yeah. to this world, and much to our communities. And so that's the first thing is owning what we have done, and we believe in that. There are many ways that we have contributed, and we do it every day in our communities. There is an exchange that we do, right? Like we help each other's kids out. We do things at small levels that have big impact. And we need to understand that it doesn't have to be big to make a difference. When we look at formal philanthropy, there's not an exclusionary model that we're building here. There's not a, you have to bring in multi-million dollar gifts in order to be part of this community that we are building. That is not what we're doing here. So you mentioned giving circles. There's a collecting giving model. There's a way for you to be involved. And I think it's really important. And the the best analogy that I have is the difference, you know, that um, I call it the, you know, the Barack Obama, the Obama strategy of those $5 gifts got him to a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, where people were not looking at the grassroots strategy, they were looking at major donors. And he went on the ground and found people that would give $5 to his campaign and got to the same end. I don't think that it's any different. When you dismiss people and overlook them, you are missing out on a lot of gifts and a lot of expertise. And, And we need to expand who is under the tent of philanthropy what that looks like and how we engage people in our community. And that's what we're about. Yeah, that's true. Obama, he did something that it got to the same result, which was to get to the White House, which was going to the mm-hmm. grassroots level to collect and energize the grassroots communities to get them to to the White House. And That's right. And he needed to raise money, right? And he, yeah, he, he needed money. money. <laughs> is still $5 no matter where you go. (laughs) It's good to hear that you're continuing that. That's it. And so, I mean, you know, look, we're a young, we're a young organization and we're looking at um, building out. That's part of what my role is um, with Loli Mola, who is the the president and CEO, um, one of our our co-founders. And I'm here to enhance that and to look at what are some of the ways that we can bring community in 
to helping us reach our fundraising goals. And so people can reach us. We have a way for folks to email and to connect with us. And so, you know, our ideas are our ideas, but they're better when people contribute. And so people can reach out if they have ideas on how we might be able to enhance what we're already doing. Yeah, it's all about building that momentum. And there's tons of momentum headed your way, which is great. Well, we've seen this momentum, especially over the past three years, not exclusive to the the past three years. And unfortunately, there are detractors who are trying to stop this momentum, specifically the nonprofit American Alliance for Equal Rights, which is founded by Edward Bloom, the man behind the push to end affirmative action, filed a lawsuit against Fearless Fund which is an Atlanta-based venture capital firm that supports Black women and other minority-owned small businesses. This lawsuit alleges that the fund is, quote, operating a racially discriminatory program, end quote, in violation of the Civil Rights Act. What are your thoughts about this lawsuit, and could this impact current or prospective donors to the Black Collective Foundation Minnesota? My thoughts on it is that racism is real and alive, and this is why we exist. Harmful acts, deliberate acts, people that want to take Black community down are still abundantly present. Here is yet another example that is visible. It is not the visible actors that I'm most concerned about. It is the ones that are dressed up nice (laughs) that aren't as easy to identify. I think that where we are headed in terms of public policy and um, the actions that are, are taking us backwards in terms of some of the progress that have been made is concerning. It's even more concerning if we in community and people that believe that those actions are wrong, don't take a more aggressive stance in terms of how we engage in our democracy. That even if we don't like where the democracy is headed, we will like it less if it's completely gone. That we need to pay attention. We need to be acting into our local elections. We need to be paying attention to what's happening. And we need to be more assertive, strategic, and engaging around those things. I think that anything is possible when evil rears its its head. I hope that the actions that he has taken against the fearless funds has basically just been a hootie hoo to everyone that cares about Black community and Black women and investments in the Black community yeah. to mount up, to get ready, to support and defend and to ensure that those efforts are maintained and not just maintained, but sustained and not just sustained, but that they grow, that the attacks will come when you are doing the work. The attack is not the problem. It is being attacked without having people help you defend against the attack is where the problem is. And hopefully that will not be the case. And it won't be the case if they come for us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mount up. We're going to mount up and defend and sustain and, like you said, and grow.
One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Afrodeli. Afrodeli is a fusion restaurant that weaves together business, community, and culture. They are a social enterprise that offers freshly made African, Mediterranean, and American-themed food in a fast, fun, and friendly environment. For more information, please go to afrodeli.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Let's talk about self-care. I know the three of you, the three co-founders, are pouring a lot into this foundation. What does self-care look like to make sure that you're pouring back into yourselves? Yeah, one of the most beautiful um, surprises of the partnership with Lolit, Rapa, and I have been when we would set up meetings it would take us an hour sometimes to get to the task of the meeting because the first hour would be simply checking in on each other. It would be debriefing whatever we were experiencing in our bodies. It turned us into co-founders, into like co-family, right? <laughs> like we, we moved into a space where we realized that part of sustaining and growing was having a place a container to place the pain. It wasn't just moving forward and moving pain into action, which was then the the collective foundation, but it was a container for us to place our emotion was with each other, right? That there was a lot that didn't need to be said because we were having a collective experience that was understood with less words, but it was also a container for us to share our feelings in a way that was received and it was welcomed. And so it has been just a beautiful surprise. As we were creating and one of the trainings that we offered out to our philanthropic community was a session we called the in-between because we realized that like in between the planning, in between the thing that we were coming from and before we got to the meeting, we would have these sessions. You know, it's like when you go to the conference in between the sessions, mm-hmm. there's like a gathering of people, <laughs> right? Yeah. And we would talk about like, it's in between the thing where sometimes the beauty happens. Yeah. The unexpected happens in between what you planned is where something unplanned becomes the most important thing. So I think that in the work, we have built in this space for care for each other, that we don't let work supersede the relationship. And I think that's a really important cultural element of what we're doing as we build. But I also, I also am very good at creating breaks. I work hard, but when I break, I break. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I make sure that I have time for myself, time for my family time to think, right? Time to work, time to worship. And I'm really deliberate about how I organize that time. When one of those things are off, I'm off. And just checking on each other and making sure that I'm building community of folks that know when I'm off so that they can help me get to the right balance that I need. 
I'm glad that you are taking care of yourself because this work is hard, it's emotional, it, it can be painful, but it can also be beautiful as well. And it's so important to, as you said, take care of yourself and to work hard, but then also to break hard. Mm-hmm. Well, 10 years down the road, if you had a crystal ball in your hand today, where do you see Black Collective Foundation Minnesota? How do you envision success and continued growth towards this mission? Yeah, uh, 10 years down the line, we would we would have at minimum $50 million of assets under management. We would have a strong um, team of, of Black leaders making investments um, into Black communities. We would have broad philanthropy operating uh, differently with Black community, with strong secessions and pipelines of Black leaders that are supporting their investments in the Black community. We would be uh, known in the region and across the country for the the trailblazing, forward-thinking way in which we're approaching philanthropy and igniting um, new efforts across the country along with others that are doing the same thing, we would be connected by the arms, looking at how we could, how the languaging around Black community is changing from deficit to asset. That's what it would look like for me. I absolutely love it. We're going to conclude this great conversation, and I want to go back to the the core of the conversation, which is community, in this case, Black community. Healthcare leaders are a crucial part of this community. What advice do you have for Black healthcare executives on how they can take part in a philanthropic approach to supporting other Black communities and their well-being? Black healthcare leaders are so essential right now to where Black leaders are in Black community. We are at a point where we are more healthy in terms of how we're talking about self-care, how we're talking about mental health, and how we're talking about balance. These conversations are being more socialized and normalized than what I've seen in, in my time. And I think that there is an opportunity for Black healthcare leaders to be more present in what that conversation is and having it move from a normalized conversation in community to actually helping us move it to action, to what does it look like in relationship with healthcare, helping us move from being afraid to get to those appointments, having us have regular practices of care that allows us to begin to tackle some of the health issues that are so pronounced in our community that are really being instigated by the level of stress Um, and the conditions that we're living in, environmental factors and other things. And I think that as we become louder about those things and we have experts that are are really leading and championing those issues, I think that we will be stronger as a result of it. I can see so many ways in which they would be helpful in, in not just sounding the alarm, but allowing, coming alongside community and, and providing some very tactical ways of moving us Because there is an eagerness and a readiness for us to command our health differently and doing that in a way that is natural to us culturally 
And I think that there is energy around that. And so I'm looking forward to seeing more visibility in that way. Yeah. Shonda Baker, co-founder of the Black Collective Foundation, Minnesota. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and sharing your brilliance, your genius, your light with us. We, We so appreciate your time today. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.